0: Grant, O Lord, that through the written word and through the spoken word, we may behold the living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got the text up there of our uh, uh, reading from Romans. Um, You may need to look at it bit by bit um, during the sermon, Um, but probably more concentrate on what I'm saying. (laughs) On Friday Ruth and I went to Bristol to the Old Vic to see the production of Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. Um, It's a really quite a difficult book to understand Uh, but it opens the book opens with the uh, quite well-known phrase happy families are all alike but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way and the book is about a set of unhappy families wrestling with their their unhappiness with the adultery with one member of the family being unable to cope with their son and all sorts of things it's a terrible story in many ways and it doesn't actually resolve itself properly completely by the end tom wright tells of listening to or reading of the obituary of a fairly well-known comedian after, obviously, after he died. You don't get a bit until after you died. And what surprised him was that this man, who had entertained millions through his life, with his personality, his wit, and his charm, came from a very broken family. He and his father had never communicated since he was 20 years of age. And that had been reproduced in his own family. And he and his own son never communicated either that would be a great surprise to most of us i think that actually have families that do communicate and do keep in touch yes there are tensions within families um, but you do at least in most cases talk to each other but not everybody and there's probably those here today who've got a part of their family where Either you won't communicate, or they won't communicate with you, or it's something has happened in the background to have completely fractured the family. And that's what the letter to the Romans actually is all about. It's about reconciliation. It's about being made one with God. It's being made friends with God. It's restoring the relationship that should be there And in so many cases we know in human terms it actually needs hard work on one part of the relationship if possible, and it's not always possible, to get that relationship back together. And this is what Paul is explaining in the letter to the Romans of what God has done to get this relationship with the human race back together. So many of us are alienated from God. It's not that people say, "Oh, we don't really like God." Sort of, um, uh, we, we it's sort of an acquaintance that we don't um, we don't have a lot of um, contact with each other. It's more we never try to make contact, and that any attempt would be rebuffed. A woman on the radio recently came out with um, a throwaway remark. Well, I was quite religious in my teenage years. You know, many of us are, but of course, as I grew up. I realized there wasn't a shred of evidence for the existence of God. Well, which God is she talking about? She's closed off all possible communication. And again, this is what Romans is about, of reconciling God's broken family, of his great plan to bring all humankind into his family. Amusing aside, um, Billy Graham wrote a book quite a long time ago, seemed dead for a bit, and it was called Peace with God. And when I was a student, the student Union Bookstore, which I was responsible for ultimately, um, one of my predecessors uh, must have um, gone completely mad and bought about 50 copies of this book, which I seem to remember in the 1960s was 10 shillings and sixpence, which actually was quite a lot of money when you're a student. at that point of time I think I I lived each week on about 10 shillings you know I didn't need any more than that um, so ten and six was quite a lot of money not surprisingly quite a number of these books hadn't sold um, we had a bookstore that lived in the basement of the hall that we used for our meetings um, it did have some damp problems and the covers were starting to curl a little bit I remember thinking well, how? it's not doing them any good being here so I, I took some, uh, 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 I learned from my father, who by this stage should become uh, a corner shop owner, that you have good point of sale information. So I, as people walked downstairs that, this particular week for their coffee after um, our Bible study, they were greeted with a great big banner that said, peace with God for half a crown. Uh, and we sold a lot. <laughs> but of course, that's not true. There isn't peace with God for half a crown, it's peace with God for free. Paul has laid the foundations in the first four chapters of Romans and then comes to this conclusion. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it already. How could this possibly be true? Is this not a self-delusion? Oh, my life is so far from God. I don't often feel at peace, in fact I very rarely feel at peace. And it worries me sometimes that some Christians um, seem to be so confident of their relationship to God and so oozing joy and celebration that it makes me feel that actually whatever it is I have in my relationship with God it's feeble and uh, frail and of little if any consequence. You know, Paul's readers would have been seriously taken aback by that phrase, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews, converted Jews and those who were thinking about the Christian faith, knew that following their faith was demanding. The Jewish faith had, um, the law of Moses had various things you had to do and not do, and it was very difficult to fulfil all of this. It was a burden and a stress. And actually, if you were an ordinary person, uh, actually what the Old Testament describes as the people of the land, you didn't stand a chance of really keeping the law of Moses. You were going to fail. So you weren't going to have peace with God. And you were just going to have to trust to whatever God of the God of mercy it might have for you when you die, and hope that something was there, because you weren't going to get it in this life because you'd failed. And similarly for the Gentile converts of Roman society. Uh, Roman society was littered with gods, left, right and centre. The Emperor, by this date had declared himself to be a form of a god. And when he died, he would be a god. And you were expected to, to observe worship of the various Roman, slightly different in Greeks, but basically the same. And they had rituals you had to perform, money you had to give, Things you had to do, it was going to be hard work. None of these options, either for the Jew or the Gentile, offered peace with God. Well, they, and maybe we, had got it all wrong. God was wanting to bring to fruition His great plan. To bring all humankind into a close and loving relationship with him as his family, and not as his servants or his slaves, who are there to jump you know, um, to, wear, you know, to do what he says. We have, says St. Paul, reconciliation. And from that, third or fourth line down, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. In other words we've just seen you might have seen the uh, Trooping of the Colour and the birthday parade on the television yesterday we it'd be as if we had permanent access and right to enter into the presence of the King you didn't have to wait to be commanded or ask for permission you have a right of access you are one of his family the right of access and more than that That right of access enables us to celebrate our hope of sharing the glory of God. Not surprisingly, in our secular context, if you had right of access to the king and the court, uh, you'd pick up some of the, the celebration going on around there. What Paul is saying, we too are able to celebrate with the grace of God that has been given to us. But we've been called into his family. We've been called, um, we've been called to serve him. Actually our gospel reading um, referred to that as well. And the God who shares His glory with us also wants to share his work with us. And sometimes that work might be demanding. We wouldn't expect to start any enterprise in life without some preparation or some training and ongoing training. Not just the concert pianist, but any pianist at all needs to continue to practice to keep their skills alive. Athletes continue to need to train. At the start of every season, talking to my oldest son who's into cricket as I used to be, You do your first net practice and things, you need to get out of bed in the morning because you're so stiff, because you've used muscles you haven't used before. You need to learn. Even on a sort of, not so much a humbler level, but of skill, you may be watching on the television, The Great Sewing Bee, and the skills that these women and men uh, are able to demonstrate in putting together in an incredibly short space of time A garment of which most of us know we wouldn't even stand a chance of starting you have to learn to do this we've been called into his service to enter into his presence to share in his grace so we're going to have to learn and it may not be easy and certainly in Paul's time the suffering he refers to here was physical persecution mental persecution financial persecution of the Christian church. And he says that grace of God enables you to celebrate in your sufferings. Where are we? Yep, we're there. We're in the right space there. Thank you, Linda. Celebrate in in the other suffering. We don't celebrate the sufferings. It's not God says, oh, all this suffering is wonderful. No, it's we're able to rejoice in the grace of God even when we suffer. Paul is a realist. He knows following Jesus isn't always easy. It cost him his life, remember. Well, is this hope just some form of whistling in the dark? What I'm supposed to feel? So that I say I feel all this when really I don't? Well, feeling is a very very dodgy stuff to rely on our feelings can be affected by how our health, our diet, how much sleep we had, whether we've just had an argument with our partner or whatever that might be. Feelings aren't very reliable. Paul tells us we're going to be able to celebrate this hope because the love of God has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There it is, the end of verse five. Well, maybe we've missed out somewhere. Well, you might think I'm not a very religious person. Um, I'm not often, I'm not a very good person. And in fact, sometimes the person I know myself to be, I'm not even sure I like, let alone God. Well, God proves that all of this doesn't matter. And he does love us because as he said, Christ died for us. Because God proves his love for us while we were still sinners Christ died for us. He died for you and me. He died for the liar, for the adulterer, the fraudster. He died for the child who hasn't spoken to their parents in 40 years. He died for the addict and the abused and the ashamed. He died for the excluded and the discriminated against, for those who are angry over how life's injustices have treated them. He died for those who are furious with God and are not sure if he or she even exists. He died for the atheists, the child molesters, the corrupt politicians, the warlords and the terrorists. And then the culmination of this argument, much more surely then, the culmination is that if God has done all this for us, then surely He's going to finish it. He's not just going to leave it at that point. And Paul's argument, if you like, is a bit like the mountaineer who has just finished, almost finished scaling an incredibly difficult climb, has pulled himself up over the last cliff face. And all that is left is a gentle grassy walk to the summit. Surely, says Paul, He's not gonna stop at that point. Or well, the woman who drives hundreds of miles in snow, hail, or fog to visit a friend in need. Surely, says Paul, she's not gonna get fail to get out of the car and go and knock on the door. Surely, says Paul, God having given his son to die for us, he will then bring us to salvation. That such that we are able to celebrate the ro- celebrate in His life, and celebrate in our life, and celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has done it in the past. He has delivered Jesus for us today. That He commends His love to us. That while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Surely, a God that great and mighty is going to finish the job. However it might be. However difficult. However perilous the path. Or, if you like, however trivial the path. Because most of us are going to be called to do very ordinary things. There's a wonderful... um, him. we haven't sung it, for well I don't think we've sung it for years, he used to have it for primary school end-of-term services. The journey of life may be easy, may be hard, there are dangers on the way, but that Jesus will walk with us day by day. So what are you and I to do with all of this? Whether you've been a long time in the faith, whether you're new or not sure whether your faith's really started and it's a a bit like the the notice in the porch outside. It's a bit like a, a lamp bulb that thinks it might be about to blow. It keeps flickering and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. What we do with it is lay hold of God's gracious gift. And if you've never before come to him, unworthy as you are, just come as the one for whom Jesus died. Say to him, you died for me. Show me what I need to be and do, and then can we bring the it just down a bit there? Oh, well, we'll, no, just a bit further. That God's love flooding into our hearts. This is the sign that God is with us. That through the Holy Spirit, His love will flood into our hearts. And it will show itself in different ways. It might, and it might necessarily not, be warm, fuzzy feelings. It may well be a renewed sense of peace, a sense of great joy. It may be feeling for the first time accepted and loved unconditionally with a renewed purpose for the future. But above all, young or old in faith, for the very beginner, we celebrate our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And here in this Eucharist, we, if you like, we share in a meal that takes place all the time in heaven, the great celebration of the victory of the Son of God. And here in this Eucharist, we're invited to, if you like, take our place on the back row of the heavenly chorus, rejoicing in God our Savior, In God's great glory. That is the great salvation that has been given to us completely freely because since we're justified by faith we have peace with God. So go out, tell the story. Most people don't know it. Tell the story and live the glory. Let us pray. A prayer for each of us. Lord Jesus, I come to you as one for whom you died. Take me, fill me, form me and use me, and fill me with your Holy Spirit for whatever may lie ahead, for you will always be with me. Amen.